surrender ourselves to you today. We ask you to fill us, O oh God, with your spirit, to encourage us in every good work and deed, Lord, to destroy deception and bring forth your truth today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives and in our city and in our nation as it is in heaven. We worship you, God. We thank you. We say, speak, Lord. We're here to listen. And Lord, give us obedient hearts. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much, band. Wonderful. Wonderful deal. Good to see you, Cara. Up there, go for it, girl. Excited. And all of you, thank you so much. You're thankful for our man leading us out. I've said this before. I used to be in faith group with Becky, and I'd just sit there and she'd just play piano. And we'd just soak in God's presence. Now you get to experience uh, the, the, the grace of God upon her life. You know, we're given grace in our lives in order to inspire people and inspire people for Jesus. Uh, my name, by the way, is Jeff Bianchi. I am the lead pastor here at Community of Faith. It's an honor to be here and a privilege. And uh, we're today in the fourth week of our series, Becoming a Person of Influence, looking at the life of Joseph. And uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, the son of Israel, otherwise known as Jacob, 12 sons, Joseph, the second to youngest son, the 11th son, and we're looking at the narrative of his life, starting in Genesis chapter 37, and uh, going on from there. But uh, uh, as we look at this, again, uh, just to remind us, we've been talking about this, we talked about a dream that Joseph had, we talked about the path. Uh, that Joseph walked and such, but you know, uh, God had a purpose of extreme influence for his glory and for mankind's good through Joseph's life. Joseph was a man that God had ordained to bring freedom to many others, to bring influence, and he had something to go through in order to get there. We're looking at this today because I believe that God has destined each and every one of us to be an influence, maybe not an upfront kind of person, maybe so, maybe no, but to have deep and profound influence on those that are around us. You were created in the image of God. God is an influencer. God is one that, that, uh, that affects our lives so deeply and desires for us to be that. You know, um, we want to look today, as we're looking through this series of the steps that Joseph took, we're looking at the trials that he endured which were many, and we look at how he made the right choices in order to become that person of influence that God had him to be. Um, as I said, today is the fourth week in our series, uh, and uh, just as we're looking at Joseph and how God led him to exhibiting or uh, to uh, bringing uh, his influence to bear for the sake of the salvation of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, was saved through the life of this man. God, through this man, saved the life of Israel in the future. So that destiny God has for you to see many brought to freedom in Jesus. You see, God wants you to be an influence. And to be a godly influence, it, it, it goes to His glory. It, it goes to His, uh, uh, his um, 
Uh, his is the power. His is the glory. His is the kingdom forever and ever and ever. And you get to be a part of saying, yes, God, you are all in all. So today in this fourth week of our series, we're going to look at uh, <laughs> a topic. Sounds a little bit heavy, but um, receive it for the grace that it is. Obedience and suffering today we're going to look at in the life of Joseph. And we're going to see how these things, when we look at Joseph's life, how these things play into the role of becoming a person of true spiritual influence. Am I convinced any of you yet you want to be that influence for God that he's called you to be? Anybody out there? By the way, I want you to be on the ball uh, and pay attention and obey whatever God tells you because at the end of this series, you're going to have one week dedicated to testimonies of you guys saying, this is what God spoke to me and this is how I'm obeying God and what I've heard in this series. And this is how it's changing a lot. Because we're trying to learn to be obedient. Not the best sermon or not. I'm trying to give you something hopefully quality. But that's really uh, what's as important as how you respond to what's good and how you obey obey, uh, God in that. What is obeying God? It is simply doing what His desire is for you to do. You cannot know how to obey God without knowing what God's Word is. And uh, that's what we're doing today. So, anyway, let's go back a few years. Uh, At the beginning of Community of Faith Christian Fellowship, anybody here... That was at the beginning of things for Community of Faith, CFCF today. No, I don't see Audrey and Glenn, or I don't see Audrey. Well, anyway, I'll tell you about it. At the beginning, uh, we our first service was uh, in February of 1999, and we were in the Knights of Columbus Hall on Washington Street here in Brighton, uh, the KC Hall. And uh, we were there, and um, we're a group of about 18 to 20 of us started out. And uh, one of the things, one of my roles on staff was worship leader at that time. I led with uh, Laura Richmond, a couple of other folks. And uh, so the very first few services we had, I would actually rent our equipment on Saturday and return it on Sunday. I'd go down to Action Music. Is it still there in Davis Square? I don't know. Action Music. I went into the, <laughs> I went into Action Music and I asked the guy behind the counter, I said, do you? I know you sell stuff. Do you rent stuff? And you said, man, it's not nailed down. You can rent it. You know? So I was like, okay. Well, we, we rented equipment. And so I'd, I'd take the, a van. I don't know who's, maybe the Richmonds or somebody's. I'd take a van on Saturdays, pick up the stuff, bring it, and then take it back on Sundays. Well, eventually we got tired of doing that. I got tired of doing that. And uh, we uh, decided that um, we had enough money at that time. Uh, gifts and other things to buy some equipment. So uh, I bought about $3,000 worth of equipment from Guitar Center on Commonwealth Avenue. Anybody, is that still around? I think it is. Well, I I didn't know quite what I was doing, but had a little coaching and I bought everything. But one thing I was trying to figure out uh, because we were at the Casey Hall was where I could store this equipment. I had a small apartment on. I'm going to give you just any reference point, Beechcroft. I was living on Beechcroft right down there near Kiki's Market and uh, wasn't really big enough. Neil Kubach and I lived there. So we figured out, I found a place in the Knights of Columbus Hall that they allowed us to use that had a lock on it. Praise God. A lock. That's good in case somebody was wanting to steal. And um, you know what it was? A jail cell. It was a jail cell. 
What? We realized. We were like, what in the world is going on? We went down to the basement and there's cells lined up gel cells. Like, you know, like the Wild West. And what we figured out was the Knights of Columbus Hall used to be um, the county jail. And uh, we, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, if you used to, if you did something wrong on staff those days, you get locked up. For, no, I'm kidding. I'm joking. But anyway, we've never locked anyone up. But anyway, we locked it up in there and came back the next week and unlocked it. It was just kind of funny. So that was uh, a little story about the history. Did you, how many of you out there, I've told it a few times, how many of you out there knew that our equipment the first time was stored in jail, a jail cell? Well, there you have it. Um, so it was kind of creepy, kind of weird, but it worked. Um, today, though, we're going to see what happened with Joseph. When he obeyed God, yet he got thrown into a jail. He got thrown into a jail. Not at all, well, probably a lot different than the jail I was telling you about. He, um, he landed himself in jail. It was a place he did not want to be, right? What is jail? I'm going to use the word prison from now on. Prison's more of a long-term internment than jail, but... He, uh, a prison is a place that you do not want to be. It's a place that is restricted. And it's a place that many people, you haven't ever found too many people in there that feel like they deserve to be there. Have you ever talked to many prisoners? Not many of them feel like they deserve to be there. Some do, uh, maybe most, but most don't feel like they do. Anyway, uh, but Joseph got thrown in jail. We're going to look back at the passage we did last week, and uh, we're going to observe some things. This is what we're going to find out. Um, We are going to, by looking at this passage, we're going to learn how to deal with the prisons of life that come our way. The the circumstantial prisons in our life. Those those might be a relational prison, right? You're in a relationship that's a very difficult one. Maybe it's you... Uh, maybe it's a roommate situation. Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a, a work associate. Maybe it's something else. We're going to look at the different prisons that come our way. A job that seems to be uh, more restrictive than we desire it to be. Whatever that is in our lives, uh, there are a few other things you can think about that. But we're going to look at how if we'll deal with the prisons of life that come our way, that uh, we, if we respond well to those things, it will result in great spiritual influence in our lives. I want to help you to get perspective today for what you're going through and what you're going to go through in life. You're going to go through uh, uh, situational prisons in your life. You may not be locked up behind the, um, you know, uh, bars, but you will at times have those situations in your life. Let's look now at Joseph's life and uh, we'll see. Let me just say this one thing and I'll come back to it at the end. We are going to see through Joseph's life here that what is our prison now, our situational prison now, if responded to with faith and with servanthood, will ultimately become a launching pad for the destiny. Man, Mm, this is good. Anyway, anybody ready to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I'm ready. Let's begin by looking at Genesis chapter 39 and verse 11. This is a passage referred to last week, but we really need to look at it to understand what happened. Please read along with me. One day he, Joseph, went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, this is Potiphar's wife, the man that he was working for, right? She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. 
For any of those who don't understand what that means, that means come to bed with me. Okay? That's what she meant. Same thing back then. But, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And this guy skied out. And we talked about last week how uh, Joseph, uh, you know how I know Joseph found this woman attractive? The way she smelled, the way she looked, all this stuff. Because he didn't just say, get out of here, you had. I got no interest. He ran. He ran away. He knew there was enough in her to cause him to fail as so many countless numbers have in the past. She called her servants after this and look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought here to make sport of me or just make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him, uh, the master of this story. That Hebrew slave he brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, uh, when the master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Well, very interesting. There's a few things we notice here. Uh, but what I want to say here generally, or very specifically, is obeying God does not exempt you from suffering. Actually, oftentimes it leads you into it. Joseph obeyed God. How Can you picture this right now? She's got the cloak all day long. She's lying about it. And he knows he's busted. There's nothing he can do about this. She, day after day, as we look a little bit further back in the passage, was saying, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. You are handsome. Uh, as it said earlier in there, right? She's calling out for him. He makes the righteous and godly choice and gets out of there and he gets lied about it. He gets accused of the very thing he didn't do. Any of you ever been accused of anything you didn't do? Any of you been wrongly accused? Even when you did something right? Any of you ever felt that way? You can imagine what Joseph felt like. He knew that the wrath of his boss was coming down on him. And there was nothing he could do to defend himself. He's not going to call, he's not going to say anything about the master's wife. And so what happens? Joseph is thrown in jail. Well, that's not fair, God. Well, that's not. How many of us have ever been in that situation in life? Well, that's not fair, God. I did the right thing. Well, he did do the right thing by fleeing from Potiphar's wife. He responded well on the path to becoming this person of spiritual influence. He obeyed God in a most impressive manner. As I said last week, 17 to 20-year-old, probably closer to the 17 end of things, and raging with hormones, and a woman... He's attracted to, and he is he is he is um, uh, rejected, and every reason to give himself to this, other than getting his head chopped off. <laughs> uh, but but um, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it, and uh, God knew what He was doing, though, and allowed this to happen to Joseph. Many times, when we do the right thing and we obey God, we expect everything to go smoothly, don't we? I obeyed God. 
It should go easy for me. Oh, God doesn't love me. I obeyed him. I tried the obedience thing. I tried to do what God told me. But then I, something lied about me. Something hurt. Something did something to me. And believe you me, I'm not making light of it. It's painful to be lied about. It's painful to have someone do something wrong to you when you serve God. But I am here to tell you, just as Job learned throughout the 42 chapters of Job, uh, the greatest man of the East, that you cannot do enough righteous things to avoid suffering. You can't just do it in such a way that now God is required to protect everything I do and uh, to make everything go perfect for my life. You see, that is a... uh, mm, It's not the word I want to use. That is an incorrect version of what true spirituality is. Now, there's a lot we know about what God ultimately had in mind. If we look at Job's life, in the book of James it says, See how kind and compassionate the Lord is. Toward Job speaking, right? The Lord is full of compassion. If you're looking at 40 chapters of Job's life saying, no, he is not. God is evil. <laughs> I mean, that's what the emotional feeling is. If Joseph couldn't, I mean, Job, Job could not see what was going on. But anyway, sometimes, many times we expect everything to go smoothly, but it's not the case. If we do not understand, this is so important to you, who are, I'm so proud of you. You are becoming ever-increasingly people of influence in God. But if you do not understand that suffering is a part of the package of this Christian life, especially at times for the obedient ones, that suffering is a part of this package, then you will grow weary and you will lose heart and you will not want to walk with God anymore. Now, He ultimately has your best interests in mind. There's no suffering that doesn't have an upside and much greater. Ultimately for you and for me, but you've got to understand that. You see, if we don't understand this, we're going to continually... You see, Joseph was in a prison he couldn't change. Correct? He couldn't get out of there if he wanted to. He could have tried to manipulate his way, but it wouldn't have worked. But you and I, in some of the prisons in our lives, we will continually try to change our circumstances. We will continue by the arm of the flesh, by doing something in our natural ability, try to get ourselves out of uncomfortable situations... Because we don't understand that it's within that prison that God's working something in your life of glory that when it comes out, when you come out of prison, woo! I mean, we're going to look at what happened to Joseph. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. But um, I want to encourage you. Now, there's an exception to these prisons, okay? I want to say an exception. Abusive relationships is not a prison you want to stay in. If you're being abused physically, mentally, Physically, sexually, something like that, you need to work to extricate yourself from that situation. Right? I'm not saying every prison that you're in is God's prison, but there are many, many things that we're restricted in. Right? It's a place you don't want to be. It's somewhere you don't want to be that if we don't understand God's purpose in it, and we feel uh, the overwhelming reality that God doesn't have us to move from that situation, we will often... If we don't do that, we'll try to extricate ourselves from it. So there are situations that you need to get yourself out of. Abusive relationships, get out of them. Um, uh, I mean, yes, truly abusive relationships in that, in that situation. But um, there are times in our own relationships we feel, we feel not treated fairly. And um, uh, we, we don't want to try to completely extricate ourselves from every situation. God allows prisons... Right? Circumstantial prisons in our lives uh, um, 
that obeying does not exempt us from. Okay? Now, God doesn't cause every prison uh, in your life. God doesn't cause every single thing to happen. He's like, oh, I'm going to lock you up here. No. No. God doesn't cause it. But God does allow things in your life that restrict you, that are difficult, hard, that you want to get out of yesterday, and uh, that you feel like you're unfairly in. God allows those in our lives. Again, as I said, difficult relationships with family, with our work associates, schoolmates, a sickness or financial difficulty. He allows these. God doesn't always cause our prisons, but He uses them to prove His goodness in our lives and to build faith and character. Let's continue on in this passage, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave success to him in whatever he did. Let me just say this. right? We've observed that obeying God doesn't exempt you from suffering. Sometimes it leads you into it. The second thing is that when you obey God, even in the midst of your sufferings, His favor is with you. His favor is upon you. His favor is not always an easy time. His favor is His presence upon you that brings deliverance for the sake of others, that that brings healing, and that that transforms other people's lives. And and He will take care of every one of your needs. Him. But it wasn't Joseph's situation that proved God's favor. It was God's presence that proved God's favor. God's presence was upon Joseph in the prison. And as I said to you, uh, as I've spoken before about my friends Dana and Heather who were in prison in Afghanistan for 104 days in 2001, they, uh, I've heard uh, the gist from both of them is, I'd rather be in that prison again with the presence of God than out of that prison without. Now, they've got the presence of God out of that prison, so they like that better. But the presence of God in whatever prison you're in is better than trying to get out of every single situational prison in your life and being not having the presence of God in your life. Man, if I don't have one thing that will break my heart, it's, it's not having the presence of God, the thickness of God on what I do in life. I want to be a spiritual influencer. Spiritual influences aren't whims. I am, but he's developing, he is driving the wimpiness right out of me. Day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. Obedience is not a one-time event. It's not even several events. It's a learning process for those called to be true spiritual influences in God. Obedience is not a perfect process. You know, it's not like, oh, I didn't do the right thing there, so now I'm off track. No, it's a continual leaning of your heart toward God. The desire of your heart to say, God, whatever it is that you say, I'll do it. Maybe one time you smack your face in the wall. Not literally, hopefully. But maybe sometimes you, you, you didn't hear it right or something didn't happen right. But you're not as worried about the perfection of the, the path you're going, but you're, you're concerned about who it is that you're walking with and, and being and learning the process of obeying Him quicker and quicker all the time. You see? That's what maturity is. Mature people are obedient people. 
Mature people are people that do what God says, when He says it, and don't demand they have to know all the reasons why. Oh, God, okay, I know you want to do that, but explain it to me. Well, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18 says this The path of the righteous is as the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. Gleam of dawn. Some of us are saying, God, I've got to have a full day sun in order to do it. And God's saying, I'm going to give you a gleam of dawn. If you'll walk with me in that gleam, I'll let it shine brighter. You keep walking, it'll come brighter. You keep walking, it'll come brighter. You wait around for the full sun of day and the full understanding of everything until you obey God, keep waiting. Not going to happen. God gives you. You obey what light of Him you know. What do you know? Mark Buckner was leading us last night, a group of our leaders, in uh, a passage uh, out of John chapter 3 where Nicodemus, a, a, a spiritual leader that day, was, was dialoguing with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, You will not even enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Nicodemus was uh, religious. But Jesus was saying, You're not going to enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And it's not going to happen unless, and as Mark was sharing, we've got to get back to the basics. Sometimes we want to hear God on these big things, and God's saying, how about what I told you a year ago? <laughs> how about what I told you last? Have you obeyed me so far? What's obedience? It's not this big, vague thing. It's what you know in your spirit, along with his word, and with the counsel of others. This is what God has for your life. Obedience is simply learning to do what God says. Maturity is simply learning to do what God says when He says it and not becoming a self-pitying basket case ever increasingly in life. You do it quicker, you understand, and then God can entrust you with more what? Influence. Look, He's looking at us in these little assignments to say, are you going to wig out at a larger level? I want to give you so much more. But are you going to obey what I'm saying in the place you don't want to be? Here's something interesting. Uh, if you don't serve until it's easy, then you won't serve when it becomes easy. God knows that. So he's saying, serve me when it's not easy. And then you build the spiritual muscle. Not because you're proving something to him. God doesn't have an issue with having to have you prove something. He's proven himself to you. He's actually proving you. Every trial that God gives you in his life, in your life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, every trial he gives you, he's not looking at it saying, man, I'm just waiting. 69.4, you know? Failing. Great. You know? No. He's giving you every situation in order to ultimately pass you. And you'll go through it again. And again. And again. He refused to allow him to do his work in you, but he's not, he's never coming to you with a sense of, I've given you this situation in order to fail you. He's giving you the situation in order to break you of your own strength. And then he'll build you up. You see, those who, who have humbled themselves before God are ultimately those who lead before men. It's not the proud, it's not how much you know. It's who do you know? How well do you know him? How well do you know his ways? How have you trusted him? Jesus, Jesus. Is so good in all of his ways. Anyway, so in becoming a person, uh, well, Joseph experienced the favor in the place he didn't want to be. He was faithful um, to, to do what he was given to do. 
He wasn't on a grand stage. Here's the point. He wasn't on a grand stage. He was in a prison. But God, just as he is in your life, God, it was here in the midst of suffering that God saw how Joseph would behave when the day that he'd really been born for truly came. I mean, every day is real, every day is valid, and every day is done. But I'm telling you, I believe in our hearts there are some days that you and I were born for. That God locally had need to give to someone else who don't respond well. But God raises up a deliverer. Moses was delivered out of the water in order to do what? To deliver an entire nation through the water into the promised land. God has given you, and oftentimes it's your brokenness, it's the things in your life that you got delivered out of that He ultimately leads you to deliver others out of. Let's do it. In Jesus' name. In becoming a person of spiritual influence, even when you obey God, you will be prisoners of sort, situations. Things will come into your life, places you don't want to be, things you don't want to be a part of. I'm not talking about abusive situations. I'm talking about situations of restriction, situations of difficulty. Maybe it's a job you don't like. I'll say it again. A marriage, a roommate situation difficult. A city that is cold, cold, cold. (laughs) I'd rather freeze my tukey off whatever that is, (laughs) than not be in this city for this day and this hour that God has ahead. I'm not going to let something petty like snow keep me back from the will of God. And sometimes we have too many options in life. My good friend Jimmy Seibert says, faith is a lack of options. doesn't mean everyone's called to be here for the rest of your life. I know my call. But I am saying... That if we let our senses guide us in our decisions, we're ultimately going to be holding a bag of nothing. And he's got the bag of everything he wanted to give. Now, God is great. <laughs> um, he'll always work out a new best for us. But why not do what he's asked us to do? God's reminder is that his favor is with you and he is watching to see how you respond to him in this prison so that he can eventually give you a place of greater influence for his glory. Man, I want to see you guys influence nations for Jesus. Whether you come or whether you go, allow Him in these prisons of life to work something in you. I was single till 36. It felt like a prison at times. Some of you got married at 20. And it felt like a prison since then. So it's not one way or the other. It's just whatever the situation you are in life. Not many of you. It's not husband, wives. I haven't talked to a husband or vice versa. I'm just saying I know that it takes work. But God's working something. Let's go to the third part. How about it? You with me? I'm with me today. (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Finally, let's read Genesis chapter 40 and verses 1 through 4. This is just a little bit of new material we're giving today. (laughs) Uh. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same place where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. The, the bottom line in this is don't miss the opportunity you have to serve in the midst of your suffering. 
Joseph was in period for quite a long period of time. Joseph did not come to ultimate rulership, which we'll talk about later. Don't want to get too far ahead of myself until he was 30. So there were many, many years he languished. Languish would probably be a word, but he didn't languish in the spirit, maybe in his body. But he was in prison, not understanding why he was there, feeling restricted. God, you gave me a dream. I'm going to be a person of influence. This is not the way I would do it, God. All of that. But anyway, um, so he was there for quite a long period of time. And then the cupbearer and the baker were thrown in the prison. One of the things I think it's important to notice here is the word in the fourth verse. It's a word that should stick out to us. It's actually earlier when he was in Potiphar's house. It's a word. It's called attended. Say attended. Attended. This tells you about what the character of a true spiritual influencer is. I'll just say it one more time. Attended. 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 You don't have to say it. Joseph attended them. Joseph took care of these men, cared for their needs. He was not an autocrat. He was not a dictator. He was a humble servant. He served where he was. Oh, God, I'd rather be somewhere else. I'd rather be with my mom. I'd rather be with my dad. I'd rather be married. I'd rather be this. I'd rather be that. But you would not rather. Does that sound similar to someone in regards to this Father, if possible, Jesus said, remove this cup from me. The cup of suffering on the cross. He said, but yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Sometimes in our prisons we need to say, God, please, give me a spouse. God, please, help me with my spouse. Wake them up. Whatever. Yet not what I will. I'm not going to jump the gun. I'm going to obey you. The path of spiritual influence involves servanthood. There's not a way around it. (laughs) Now, what that servanthood looks like can be different. There are many people that serve on Sunday mornings in various ways, setting up this, uh, all of the stuff here. Thank you for all doing that. There are many, many ways of serving, but you cannot get around serving. Jesus, John chapter 13, was a servant. If you look at that, when he washed the feet of his disciples, only those who are servants are able to rule in God's purposes. You want power? You want the power? Become a servant. Don't try to get to that grand stage before you're ready. Allow God to work on you on the stage of prison and smallness and things that God is looking at and saying, there's some ultimate destiny for this person and I want to see how they respond. Good news is, if you've messed up in the past, as I have, he's got another round for you. Not of ultimate suffering, but he's got another opportunity where he's trying to pass you for the greater influence. Many people want a position. Many people want to do something great. I do. I want to do something great. I'll be honest. But only those who are willing to live with wholeheartedness and serve where they are, not waiting for another time, not waiting for another season, not waiting to get out of the prison of life they're in right now. Those who serve wholeheartedly where they are will be promoted to greater spiritual things. What are greater spiritual things? It means from my life, Jesus gains more glory. More people come into the kingdom of God because of my life. More people are influenced to be on fire and love with Jesus. More people's marriages healed. More people's 
uh, children that, that don't have a father know the father's love more and more and more for his glory and for their good. I want more of it. In God's economy, again, if you won't serve until it's easy, then you won't serve when it becomes easy. True servanthood is tested in the prisons of life that we don't want to be in. It's really tested in those places. I want to give you an illustration about understanding this. There's a little bit of a shift, not too much. Joseph was in a situation and he didn't know what God was doing. And I'm here to tell you that God knows the path that you take. That God has destined you and He's preparing you for a wonderful, wonderful future. There are things, spiritual prisons, things that are, I mean, uh, situational prisons that come about, and He's preparing you all the while. It makes me hearken to a movie that was uh, in my college days and uh, your infant days, but uh, <laughs> 1984, Ralph Macchio, Karate Kid, right? Remember Karate Kid? There's a kid. Did you run? Okay. Anyway, came out my senior year of high school, of all things, in 1984. And it contains a prime illustration of God's preparatory work in our lives. I just want to, you know, share with you and give you a reminder of the good work that God's doing and the fact that even in the things you don't understand, the prisons of life you're in, that He's working something if you'll just respond to Him. Daniel was uh, a guy from New York, I believe it was. He and his mom ended up moving to California. Uh, and uh, Daniel was kind of a scrawny, for lack of a better term, uh, um, Italian kid and Daniel Russo, I think was his name, and he, he goes to California and he runs in. He 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 ends up being at high school and he likes this girl and and uh, the cool guy and his friends, you know, is his ex girlfriend or something. Anyway, a group of guys, blonde, you know, uh, look kind of like you know Charlie, uh, Zach's child, you know, blonde hair, really good looking, <laughs> but not the same attitude. Charlie's totally <laughs> You know, this guy with his friends, they, uh, they beat Daniel up, you know. And uh, Daniel is very concerned about that, so he's like, okay. He's trying to figure things out. And then he figures out that these, he decides that he wants to learn something in order to defend himself. He finds out a guy named Mr. Miyagi, who is the kind of attendant of all things, to his apartment complex, the guy who kind of is the handyman, fix-it guy. He finds out that Mr. Miyagi knows karate. And Mr. Miyagi's an older guy, 55, 60, I don't know how old, not that old, but an older guy. And he, uh, he, he talks to Mr. Miyagi, and he finally figures out, he said, Mr. Miyagi, I need you to teach me karate, you know? And uh, Mr. Miyagi says, catch 100 flies or something, you know, and then I'll talk to you about it. Well, anyway, Mr. Miyagi says, okay, I'll do it. I'll teach you karate. I said, meet me here next, uh, tomorrow at 5 a.m. It's not exact details, but there's a little... Uh, but he said, meet me really early tomorrow morning. And so the first thing uh, that I think uh, Mr. Miyagi tells, he takes, Mr. Miyagi takes Daniel under his wing to defend himself. The first day, Daniel, he says, paint a fence, you know, because Daniel just, you know, up, down, up, down. You know, Daniel paints the fence, and then, you know, like at lunchtime, like Mr. Miyagi has like a fishing and he's going off fishing, you know, he's not even with Daniel. Comes back at lunch or something, Daniel goes, I finished the fence. He said, no, there's another side to it all the way around here. 
So Daniel finishes, he paints the fence, the first day. And then Mishmiyagi says, all right, meet me early tomorrow. And then he comes back the next morning, and he says, Daniel, I want you, Daniel, son, I want you to, uh, uh, to uh, work on my deck. I want you to, to uh, I don't know exactly what it is he tells him to do, but he tells him, work on my deck. And um, uh, so Daniel does something on the deck, and he gets the deck all Already, but it's the next night. The third day, Daniel says, Okay, man, I'm ready for some karate. And Mr. Miyagi says, uh, Daniel, uh, you see my cars and my van and all of this. I want you to wax on. And wax on. Right? And Daniel's like, Really? You can tell the frustration is building, you know? And Daniel waxes on and waxes off. Mr. Miyagi is, is eating sushi somewhere. I don't know where he is. He's nowhere around. Cutting bottles like and by the end of this day, the third day, Daniel is fit to be tied. I mean, he is angry. He's like, Mr. You know, so Mr. Miyagi comes up and goes, Mr. Miyagi, you told me you were going to teach me karate. You were going to help me learn how to do all this. You haven't had me do anything to do with karate. You know, you had me wax your cars. You had me uh, paint your fences, do all of this. He's, he says, I'm done. I'm through. And uh, then uh, Mr. Miyagi all of a sudden throws a punch at him. What does Daniel do? Wax off. <laughs> Wax off. Right? And he doesn't kick and this and this. <laughs> but all of a sudden, this whole thing starts going on, and Daniel realizes Mr. Miyagi has been teaching me what I needed to know all the time, and I thought it was useless. I thought it was pointless. I thought it was painful. I thought it was hurtful. I thought it was stupid. But he's teaching me the whole time better than any way he could have taught me. That is your life in God. God is doing things in your life that you cannot see. It feels like you're painting a fence. It feels like God's on vacation eating sushi somewhere. It feels like he's nowhere to be found. It feels like he's not involved in your situation. And then you come back and you say, I did it. And God says, "Uh, uh, you, you go off on another thing. You're like, what in the world is going on, God? I'm I'm wanting righteousness. I'm wanting. Just give me that infusion of patience. Give me that infusion. And God goes, I don't work by infusion. I work by transformation. And that takes time. And that takes work. And that takes a lot. You're not knowing what I'm doing in your life while you're doing it. You see, Daniel finally understood that Mr. Miyagi knew best what he was doing so that Daniel could be safe. And Daniel eventually kicked one of those guys to the pad, or whatever you want to call it. It is the same way in our lives with God. He's preparing us in these prisons of life for the days ahead with exactly what we need to be the godly influence that He has ordained for us to be. And God, I'm here to tell you as one who has walked with God for a number of years and has had a number of questions about whether He's really in it for my good. God can be trusted. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. How do I know it? Because I've painted some fences. Because I've waxed some cars. Because I've failed before and He's loved me and brought me back to life. I broke the window in a car once or something and He he gave me another car to wax, you know. But He is good. 
That which seems meaningless and trivial or painful and restrictive, in that He's training us to be victorious. And He's enabling us. Ultimately, He's doing this so that we can deliver others out of darkness. We've got the rest of all eternity to rejoice with all the glories and goodness of Jesus. We've got all the rest of eternity, but we've got this short window of time to deliver men and women from darkness. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Why is He doing stuff in your life? To deliver a bunch of people. So you can bring them with you. And around the wedding feast, where Jesus our bridegroom and us is His, his bride, rejoice in all the goodness that He worked through our lives. I believe that God wants this group of people here to influence nations for Him. If we're not willing to deal with weakness, if we're not willing to deal with prisons, if we only want the big stage, we're going to miss it. But if we're willing to do whatever God says, whenever He says it, however He says it, for as long as He says it, we're going to have the prize. What's that prize? The lives of men and women delivered and the look on the face of Jesus saying, well done, good Faithful, sir. Enter into your father's happiness. Let's stand.